Am I on? Okay, gang, if I can have your attention. Yoo-hoo! Brandy, you might, oh, there we go. Turn me up a little bit. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to get this train rolling. I see new faces tonight who were not here last week, and that's wonderful. So we are glad that you are here. It is week two of design, discovering solid direction in a drifting world. Last week we covered uh, spiritual gifts, and that teaching was recorded. And the file is too large to be emailed, but it is not too large to be posted online. So very soon it will be posted, and Tammy will let you know when that happens, how you can um, have access to that, okay? So before we get uh, rolling tonight, let me um, tell you a couple of things. First of all, in front of you, there is a handout that will kind of guide you through tonight. You can take some notes on that, and it will help you to stay um, on the same page that I'm on. And um, your homework for next week, I did, I'm sorry, I neglected to print it on there, so get out a pen or a pencil and write this down. Your homework for next week, if you have not already read these chapters in the Shape book, read chapters 3, 7, and 8, and fill out page 210. 3, 7, and 8 are the chapters and fill out page 210. All right, so we want to start with a bit of a review so that we're kind of all at least a little bit caught up on where we are, and then we're going to dive into talking about our personalities, which is always a fun topic. I'm sure you're excited about that. But we're going to start our review tonight with a brief video that is a reminder for us of the source of our growth in the Lord Jesus and in the source of our spiritual gifts. So, Brandy, will you show that? If you haven't heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place, but then above the chaos, God's spirits that are hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you have to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. With it. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air. Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. 
God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, Humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's a beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. And the story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's Spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today... The Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving Spirit. Hey, thanks for watching this video on the Holy Spirit. This is one of many videos that we make where we take a biblical theme and trace it from the beginning to the end of scripture. Okay, so as a reminder from last week, when we talked about our spiritual gifts, we talked very significantly about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this video has just reminded us that the Holy Spirit was part of the plan all along, that after you and I became believers, it was a gift given into our lives that would fill us, inspire us, remind us of the word of God, and he would do another important thing. He would give us spiritual gifts, each of us. So just as we know, we used the example last week of Paul, if you will remember. And we talked about how Paul's life was so magnificently transformed, and in that process... God drew out of him the spiritual gifts that he wanted him to use of teaching and leadership. And those things were a logical, actually, outgrowth of a lot of Paul's experiences prior to him being a believer. And so this is the path that we're on right now. We're exploring our spiritual gifts, but we're exploring how God brings all the different components that make up me, make up you, to give us shape, as the title of our book indicates, 
but how he gives us each of those things to show us what his purposes are for us, what his will is for our lives. So last week we said that a spiritual gift is an ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives for ministry or service. It's given to all believers by the Holy Spirit as he desires. Paul wasn't the only one who received spiritual gifts. I'm not the only one. You aren't. Every single one of us who is a believer is gifted by the Lord for specific work. And it's given to fulfill each of our functions within the body of Christ. If you'll remember, we talked about the fact that while these things happen to us individually, they are also happening to us because they are for the good of the body of believers, for the unity of the church of Jesus Christ, to come together, to support each other, to work to fulfill the plan and the mission that God has. So as we think about the knowledge of our spiritual gifts, the use of our spiritual gifts, it is key to our individual shape, but it is also key to the shape of the spiritual community that we are in at New City Church. There's one scripture that I want to highlight um, that's on this next slide that I want you to be sure to remember. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same spirit is the source of them all. This spirit, which is God's presence in your life, is the source of how you are gifted to do God's work. So these gifts begin to emerge in us, and we talked about that sometimes we have to begin serving. We have to have different kinds of experiences in order to discover, oh, this is where I'm most comfortable. This seems to be where I am excelling or I'm flourishing in this way because I've had some experiences in this regard. And tonight we're going to talk about how our personalities can also be an indication of what some of those gifts might be in our lives and why God has put our personalities together the way that he has so that it forms this complete picture of each of us as individuals and then how it brings all of us as individuals together in unity in the body of Christ. Okay, so I want to ask a question before we get started. Last week when you left here, your homework assignment was to, if you had not done so before, or even if you wanted to again, to take a spiritual gifts assessment. So how many of you either did that recently or have done that in the past, and you know what your spiritual gifts are? Awesome. Okay, do we have more copies of that tonight, Tammy? Okay, so when you leave tonight, if you did not get a copy of that assessment, it will be in the back and you can pick one up on your way out. <clears throat> this is a key part in your exploration of your shape and your design within God's plan. And how many of you also took a personality assessment? Okay. So last week's homework, which is in your folder, tells you of three different options you have to take a personality assessment. Some of you may have already done that in the past. You may already know from a Myers-Briggs assessment or an Enneagram assessment what your personality type is. If you don't want to repeat it, you don't have to. But if you have never done this, this is the moment to engage in that 
to learn more about yourself and about the way that God has put you together to accomplish his will. All right, for starters right now tonight, we're going to do a few little fun things in here tonight. We're going to keep moving on personality. So on the table, there is a stack of white paper, and there's a box of markers. So take a piece of white paper and take a marker. And as soon as you've all got that, I'll tell you what to do with it. All right, as you get your piece of paper and your marker, here's what you need to do. In the middle of that page, draw a line across the middle that separates the top from the bottom. Draw your line across the middle. This is not a work of art, so don't worry about if your line is straight or crooked or purple or green or whatever. And then on the top of that line, I want you to write down one word. This is not all-inclusive. Just choose one word that describes your personality. Or think of a word that someone else might use to describe your personality. Above the line. Sure. Draw a line across the middle of your paper to divide the top half from the bottom. In the top section, write a word that describes your personality. It can be any word. It can be, it can be anything. And then below the line, write a word that is something about your personality that you like. okay. It can be the same word. And as soon as you're done, hold that paper up in front of you so that I can see it. Oh, I should have told you to write big. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, just write the same words, but write them big. And then hold it up. All right. So, here are words that I am seeing around the room. Outgoing, whimsical. I can't read some of these. Some of you call out the words you wrote on the top line. Friendly. Caring, joyful, loyal, adventurous, fun. Okay, now what are some of the words you wrote below the line? Compassionate, okay. I see curious right up here. I'm sorry? Friendliness, okay. Interesting. 
Pardon? Relational. Rennie, what does your sheet say? Strategic. Good word. Okay. All right. So I want you to keep that in front of you. And the reason that I asked you to write down a word about your personality that you like is because one of the most important things we can learn to do is to appreciate the way God made us. We spend so much time in our lives thinking, well, I'm not like her, or I wish I could do that like him, or I don't have that gift or that ability, or I just, I'm just not as extroverted as that person. But the truth is that God made us exactly the way we are because he knew this is how he wanted us to be. I'm not sure we can argue with that plan. Do you see what I'm saying? He puts us where we live, in the times that we live, and he made us up to be the way that we are to fulfill his purposes in our lives in the year 2022. All right, I have a a story I want to share with you, but I can't stand still to share this story, so I have to move the mic. Okay, so... For 17 years, I worked as a college administrator, and I was over um, all of the departments that were like the the entry point departments and the like admissions, financial aid, orientation, and then I was over retention to keep students successful and enrolled in school. Large public university, um, so lots of students... Lots of responsibility. But the funny thing was, you know how on everybody's job description there's that one little phrase at the bottom that says, other duties as assigned? Okay, so one of my other duties as assigned, me and many of the assistant deans and assistant provosts and all those of us who weren't up on the stage at graduation, our role was to marshal at graduation and lead the graduates in. Now, this particular university at this point in time had an average graduating class between probably uh, 3,500 and 4,500 students. And this school still believed that when you crossed the stage, you should receive your diploma with your name on it. Okay. All right. So think about that for a minute. Think of all the things that can go wrong in that scenario right there. So on the day of graduation, we would arrive, and the head marshal of graduation would give each one of us the assignment of the particular college or group of students that we had to line up. And so if you got the nurses or the education majors or the engineers, it was your lucky day. Because those are the people who based on their personalities, their giftedness, their interests, their inclination, they believe that instructions matter. And so when you say to them, we are going to march in 10 minutes, this is your place in the line, do not move from this spot, they stay there. It's a wonderful thing. But then... There are the students who are in the Fine and Applied Arts School. There are the management and the marketing majors in the College of Business who are very different from their accounting and finance counterparts. 
There are the students who are in drama and communication and music and all other kinds of creative majors that are sprinkled throughout all the colleges. Even psychology majors, English majors, they're a little difficult to hold on to. So you say to these graduates, this is your place in line, please stay here. We're marching in 10 minutes. You must be in order to get the right diploma. And you turn away for one nanosecond, and they are, hey, hey, or they're taking pictures with their family, or they forgot that they needed to run to the restroom until four minutes before graduation, or any other number of kinds of things that are that are going through their mind. And see, it's really easy for them to take this approach because instructions are only sort of general guidelines. You know, you, a person doesn't really have to stay in line. Can't they just run back into their spot at the last moment? Well, depending on their personality, some of them can. So I went through this for 17 years at this university. <clears throat> So I tell you that story today to illustrate something. In this room right now, there are accountants and marketing majors and financial people and engineers and nurses and educators and artists and musicians and all kinds of people sitting here together. And the Lord brings us together to work with each other. So it is incumbent upon us, first of all, to understand ourselves and then to have the, take the time and to have the patience to be willing to understand the others around us. Because if I understand you better, then it's much easier for me to work with you. It's much easier for me to come alongside you and for us to say, okay, here's your part, here's my part, let's make this happen. And every single one of us, at some point in our lives, fell into one of those categories. We were either in line or not in line at the right moment in time. So we're going to talk now about personality. And I want you to think of this as personality on purpose. Because there is nothing about your personality or mine that is a mistake, that is random, that is simply coincidence. Where did we get our unique personalities? I have one phrase for you. God gave it to you on purpose. That's how you got it. In Psalm 139, 13 through 16, David wrote these words. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now think about some of those phrases and those words in that passage. All the inner parts, 
all the complexities. God knew every moment of your life and how it would be laid out. And if we're saying and believing that he knows all of our complexities, then it certainly includes our personalities. And he not only knows what we need individually in our personalities, but he knows what we need together. He knows that we need in the body of Christ, the leaders, the followers, the quiet, the outspoken, the fun, the organized, the contemplators, the reactors. We need all these people. In Genesis 1.26, when God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, I think that we can most certainly extract from that that all of the very best parts of our personalities, God possesses. He possesses them in their most beautiful and joyous form. He's not working from a sinful nature like we are. So God builds wonderful relationships as an extrovert. Yet he also knows how to pull away to quiet and stillness, to fill and rejuvenate. He knows how to express himself in passionate and magnificent ways, but he also knows how to control himself. He is comfortable reaching out in creativity to take a risk, and at the same time, he knows when to be protective, to enjoy what is safe and routine. He is aware when to act quickly and also at ease holding back for thinking and preparation. Everything that is a part of any one of us, God knows how to do perfectly. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote, For we are God's masterpiece. Let that word sink in for a moment. Bob mentioned that on the night of April 27th when the first design session took place. We are his masterpiece. That is no small accomplishment. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. That's what Ephesians 2.10 tells us. That all those many, many centuries, thousands of years ago, God knew even then the things that he had planned for each of us to do. Now, I have to tell you, we have to be realistic about this. In our sinful state before the Lord Jesus, we are a poor reflection of some of the best traits that he has given us. But, this is a big but, but as we are changed by the Holy Spirit and made anew, we become a better and better reflection of the masterpiece that God had in mind when he created us. How could he prepare in advance the works that he would desire for you to do if he didn't know exactly the person he would create you to be? Now, the word masterpiece in this passage is also translated workmanship, skilled, creative workmanship. The Greek word here for masterpiece or workmanship is the word poema, and it means artistic creation. Each one of us, 
right now, I want you to think to yourself, I am one of God's artistic creations. We feel kind of funny when we say things like that to ourselves. But the truth is, it is exactly what God tells us. C.S. Lewis wrote that we were each a divine work of art. And interestingly, in this passage in Ephesians 2.10, the word workmanship or masterpiece is actually plural. Poema is a plural word. So as much as we are individual masterpieces, we are an even greater masterpiece as God views and puts all of us together in unity in the body of Christ. We become in that moment an amazing whole, an amazing complete masterpiece to accomplish his purposes. My husband and I were recently in France. And while we were in France, we visited the Louvre. And while in the Louvre, we had a wonderful guide, an art historian, who took us to some very specific things to see in the museum. We were so glad for her because there is not enough time to see everything in the Louvre. She told us that if you spent one second looking at every piece of art in the Louvre, it would take you a month. So you can imagine, you have to pick and choose on the day that you're visiting. But she took us to one painting in particular, which is an artist's rendering of Jesus' first miracle. And within this painting, there are hidden meanings. Brandy's going to advance a few slides, and then we're going to land back on that first one. But in each of these slides, there are things taking place between the interaction of people, the servants, the musicians, what's happening with Mary and Jesus and those around them. But one thing I want to point out to you that we would have totally missed without our guide. If you look at the top of this, you see that there's a man up above straight up above Jesus, who is sitting in the middle of the table, and he has like a cleaver in his hand, like a meat cleaver. And he is the man who is butchering, slaughtering the animal that will be cooked for this wedding feast. But there is significance in that the artist chose to put this directly above the head of Jesus, as if to represent... This is the Lamb of God who will be given for the sins of the world. Now, you and I might have walked past that painting and never really caught on to what was going on directly above Jesus. But the truth is, this is a masterpiece. This sits in one of the most renowned museums in the world, and it has so much symbolism and so much meaning in it, it is a masterpiece. Every detail was thought through. Every character put in a specific place for a specific reason. So if you take that thought and expand that in your mind, that is exactly what God has done to create each one of us. It's a little mind-boggling. Because we don't have a tendency to think of ourselves in these terms. 
But the reality is that he took, our Heavenly Father took, the same kind of time, attention, and used the same kind of brilliance that this artist did to bring together a masterpiece in each one of us, which is why Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, in addition to this masterpiece from scripture, I want to take you, and we can go back to that slide that just breaks some of this down, Brandy, under um, our personalities. We have to look no further than illustrations in scripture to see this. There is a reason that God painted stories for us in both the Old and the New Testament about individuals. Because in doing so, he was saying to us, I'm going to give you examples of others that I created who show similarities with you. I'm going to show you how I put them together to help you appreciate how I put you together. So let's just look at a couple of apostles for a few minutes. Let's start with Andrew. Andrew was one of the first ones to come to Jesus, to believe, to follow him. But as soon as Andrew realizes who Jesus is, he immediately goes to get his brother Peter. And he leads Peter to Christ. And then what does Andrew do? He steps into the background. Andrew is a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Andrew was loyal and supportive every time we see him in Scripture, but he didn't seek or draw any attention to himself. Peter, on the other hand, one moment Peter was walking on the water in faith, and the next moment he was sinking in doubt. He was impulsive. He was emotional. Passion ruled Peter's life. But that passion that made him walk on the water and then begin to sink is the same passion that God used to build the gifts into Peter that would make him a tremendous spokesperson and leader in bringing the gospel to the world immediately after Jesus' death. And then there's John, the disciple who Jesus loved. And when we describe John that way, we have to be a little bit careful because there's something about that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that makes us feel like maybe John was demure or needy or just a a little more emotionally dependent on Jesus Christ. But the truth is, if you do a character study of John, John had a fiery temperament. He was devoted to to Jesus. He was all in on the things of the Lord. He won the race that day on the way to the tomb with Peter, but then he stopped at the opening of the tomb and humbly let Peter go in ahead of him. He had enormous impact on the early church. John was zealous, enthusiastic, and influential. And then we had Matthew. Bless Matthew. He was in the worst job ever. The Jews hated him because he was a tax collector. 
And when Jesus came to Matthew and said to Matthew, come, follow me, Matthew was so hungry for acceptance and to think that he could be part of this inner circle that he left everything immediately, dropped it, and followed Jesus. And Thomas, Thomas was inquisitive and thoughtful, but he was a pessimist. He had to see the evidence. He was prone to extremes. If you'll remember, there was a time when Jesus wanted to travel through Judea. And it was very dangerous for him to do that because of some of the people and the groups that lived in Judea. And the disciples tried to convince him not to go. But Thomas was the one who stood up and said, hey, let's go. And if he dies there, we will all die there together. But then after Christ's death, it's Thomas who stands in the upper room and says, I won't believe it's him until I see the scars in his hands. Do you see these personalities that emerged in just this one group of 12 men? Think of all the other characters in scripture described for us that we can learn from. Joseph, Daniel, Moses, so many others. Our personality has a tendency to show the most when we interact with others. We learn about ourselves when we are working with other people, when we're in activity, when we're in conversation. It tells us something about who we are in the way that we respond. So we're going to have a little activity in how we respond and how our personalities come out. On your tables, there are bags of Legos. Now, don't anybody move until I get finished with this explanation. <clears throat> All right, so there's a bag of Legos. And you need to divide yourself into groups of, um, I think we can probably do groups of five, based on the number that's in the room right now. There is one rule. You cannot stay in the group with your spouse. So if you are sitting with your spouse, you have got to move. Somebody trade with somebody else who's with their spouse. Now, once you move and you've found your group of five, we've got extra bags on some of the tables, so we'll make sure that all of you have a bag of Legos. But here's what you need to do. You need to work together as a team to build something that makes sense to you with those Legos. Okay? Go.
Hey, folks, if you have not put a name tag on from the middle of your table, would you do that, please?
Okay, we're going to come back together up here. <clears throat> Stay where you are for the moment. All right, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to call on each table, and some volunteer is going to tell us what you built and speak loudly and stand up so that everybody in the room can hear you. And then I want a couple of you to make observations about what happened in your group as you were doing this building. What did you observe about some of the other people? Did somebody, let me give you some examples. Did somebody emerge as a leader? Was somebody clearly a follower? Was somebody a helper, an encourager? Good job, keep going. Was someone more creative than another? Did somebody want to lay out and organize all the pieces? Did somebody want to start just putting things together without really having any clue what you were building? These are the kinds of things I want you to tell me if you observed them. All right, so we're going to start in the back, the very, very back. Beth, that's your group. So one of you stand up and loudly tell us what you built. Hold it up so we can see it. Loud. Okay, I appreciate that detail. Now, I would love to hear... Oh, is there something else? All right, well, you're obviously proud of your work. Kudos. All right, so someone else in that group, tell me something that you observed as the group was going on. What became apparent? Okay. Did anybody get impatient or tired of this activity in that group? Okay. Okay. You can be honest. It's no problem. <clears throat> he was encouraging, but he was ready for it to be over with. Okay. 
All right, we're going to come to the table right in front of you. I think there are two groups at that table. So the group that is on my, okay, the group that has three in it, you all begin, please. Oh, you both have three. I'm sorry. Elaine, go for it, will you? Okay. 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 So what we know about the three of you is that you are not detailed Lego builders. Detailed Lego builders. Okay, let's go to the group on the opposite side of the table. Okay. Okay. All right. And what did you observe in your group? Oh, so she was distracted. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Todd, you and the gentleman that you were working with in the back, please. All right. Okay, I commend you for finding a common interest for your building project. Okay, the ladies that are just in front of you. Okay, did you observe anything in particular about each other as you were doing this? Okay, so you were all very polite. Okay, all right, okay. All right, we're going to go to the group with Andrea and Rennie, and um, can you guys take it away?
Okay. 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 So <laughs> Okay, so what did you all observe about your group as you were doing this? I see. Okay. So did the haves step up? All right. The haves stepped up. All right. The table in the middle. Okay. And what did you all observe about your group? <clears throat> so you escaped. All right, and what about the rest of you? You all are being so polite in this room tonight. I'm just loving this. We all just worked together, and it was daisies and happiness. Okay, over here. Okay. Okay. All right, and what did you observe in your group? Ah, okay. Good observation. All right, let's go. Okay, let's go to the table up here. 
Way to go, Brad. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, group, up here in the front. Okay. Okay, now ladies, we need to hear what you observed that was going on in your group. Okay, so there were experiences that were coming into play. Mhm. Okay, now all of you have said things in here in the last few minutes. Some of you said things that you weren't even aware that you were describing your group as you were saying them. Like the detail that you gave us on these little things that you built, somewhere in your group, somebody sparked creativity that started time travel with a dinosaur that went through a door and an aircraft carrier that was carrying specialized documents to Washington, D.C., and this vehicle, I'm not sure I can describe what was happening over here, but every single one of you, your parking lot with the light and the signs and all these things, there was creativity in every one of these groups. Clearly, in some more than others, maybe someone emerged as a leader. Maybe in some of the groups you were just... You know, you were just all willing to cooperate. On the other hand, sometimes leaders don't emerge as leaders because they just don't really care that much about the activity. 
And I think some of you expressed that. Yeah, I was done after five minutes. You know, so for some of us, the playing with the Legos is intriguing, and we're willing to keep going. For others of us, yeah, okay, five minutes and I'm out of here. So <clears throat> my guess is that for a few of you, this was a lesson in working through 10 minutes of some impatience and wanting it to be over with. And for others of you, you had probably had a thought every now and then, now, if I could just take control of this, I could get this built and out of here. And some of you just were willing to not speak up very much and go along with the group. All of these indicate things about the personalities of the people that you were sitting with. Now, this was obviously not any sort of a major project, and if you haven't figured it out by now, the lesson was really in the process that was going on, not in what you were building itself. Okay, if you had a spouse and you changed tables, you can go back to your original seat. <clears throat> okay. Now, we're going to get down next to our responsibilities. When we begin to learn more about ourselves and more about others, there is responsibility that comes with that knowledge and with that understanding. And that isn't just my opinion. There are things in scripture that clearly demonstrate to us. There is a huge benefit in us knowing more about ourselves and in knowing more about others. It allows us to serve well together. It allows us to know individually where we are likely to succeed and shine and be effective and successful. Taking time with others to understand them helps us not to underestimate or overestimate what another's gifting might be and where the best place might be for them to be put. And it helps us to value each other as we learn more and begin to appreciate, I may not be good at this. My personality does not lead me to this part of this work, but your personality does. You are more interested. You have more ability, more experience in this area. And remember that two more components of what we're going to talk about in this class are abilities and experience. So for those of you who took a personality assessment, um, and who know a little bit about yourself, either from Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or <clears throat> whatever it might be. I'm going to use myself as an example for a minute, and I want to give you a little bit of a walkthrough of what things can, what those assessments can tell us about ourselves, and then what it can tell us about what is my responsibility now that I know this and because I am a believer in Jesus Christ, because I am trying to grow to be more like him, to be an image bearer of Jesus, what is my responsibility now that I know that my personality leads me in certain directions? It takes me down certain paths. I have patience here. 
I don't have patience there. I love this. I don't love that. All right. So if I tell you, for those of you who may have some some familiarity with the Enneagram, if I tell you that I am an eight, you automatically know some things about me, don't you? You know that um, I am a leader, that I can challenge things if I don't think they're right or heading in the right direction. You know that I can motivate people and influence them to do things. As an eight, I will fiercely defend the people that I love, and I will fiercely defend in situations where I see injustice. You know about an eight that underneath the strength that you may see on the outside, I have a tender heart. You know that I like to be told things straight up. I want to hear the honest truth. You don't have to be careful. You don't have to sugarcoat things because I can receive that. But here's the opposite side of those traits. You know, it's really easy to say those things and think, oh, doesn't this sound really wonderful? Okay, well, the other side is that as an eight, I have to be really careful because since I am so willing to hear the truth and I am so okay with people being direct with me, I can be way too direct with others without being sensitive to the fact that they may not be able to receive that the way that I do that everybody can't hear hard truth just straight out. I have to be willing to recognize that as a leader and an influencer, I don't need to be in charge all the time. There are moments when I just need to draw back and I need to allow others to grow and develop and lead in the roles that they're in. And I need to be prepared for the moments when the things that really can hurt my tender heart come at me and how I respond to that because my inclination is to pull away and I have to be careful not to pull away in places where I shouldn't. Now for others of you, you may be familiar with the Myers-Briggs and so if I say to you I am an ESTJ in Myers-Briggs language, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you this. I'm really good at organizing things but I have to be really careful about being kind as I do it. I can tell people where they need to go, what position they need to be in, but I have to be sensitive, and I have to sometimes work at that sensitivity as I'm doing that. I am much more likely to see the big picture, the vision, the overall. I don't love the details, but I appreciate very much the people who do. And I love to work alongside them for that reason, because they fill a gap that is not my favorite thing. I'm more likely to focus on present, concrete information than thinking what could be in the future. And where the third indicator on the Myers-Briggs tells you whether I am prone to think or feel when I encounter a situation You wouldn't know unless I told you that I am right smack dab in the middle of that. And that as much as I like to think things through logically, I am also very prone to take into account personal concerns. 
I'm deeply loyal to those who are important to me, although I don't have a need for that group of people to be incredibly large. But here's the downside. My natural instinct is to jump in and fix it or take control and make it happen. But that means that I'm not always listening the way I should be listening. So I have to hone that skill. I have to back off. I have to hold back so that I respond appropriately. And for others of you, <clears throat> a lot of us, if you're in my age group, you may have come along at the time when Gary Smalley was giving his personality inventory of the three animals and you were a lion, a beaver, an otter, or a golden retriever. I am a lion with a lot of otter thrown in. So what that means, if you're not familiar with that, is that I'm always going to arise as a natural leader, but I'm going to be a lot of fun to be around while we're doing it. So as I say all of that, let me say this. Those kinds of assessments are tools in our hands. They are not the be-all and end-all of understanding what we are supposed to do and fulfill in God's plan for us. But they can help us as instruments to see ourselves more clearly, to take away some of those things that are blind spots for us, where we don't want to admit, well, I really do have a tendency to be a little insensitive sometimes. Who wants to own up to that, right? But when I know that through an assessment, I can say to myself, okay, I have to be realistic about this. I have to be willing to say this is an area for me where I have to pay way more attention than maybe another one of you does who is just naturally sensitive to people. You're com some of you said earlier on when you were describing your personality, somebody said they were compassionate. That's huge because that's not a characteristic you probably have to worry about. So I'm hoping, Bob and I are both hoping and praying for you as you go through this process that you will take seriously the way that you can use these tools to help you understand yourself better but then also to engage in conversation with others so that you begin to understand those that you are serving with in the body of Christ or the members of your family, your spouse, your children, your friends, the people that you spend time with. Remember last week when I told you that Socrates was the one that had said the unexamined life is not worth living? Well, this is part of living the examined life of self-examining. So now what we do is we take what we learn from tools like this <clears throat> and we put it together with the Word of God. And we say, now that I know this about myself, now that a more objective source has told me what my preferences are, my likes, my dislikes, my tendencies, now I go to the Word of God and I say, what does the Word of God tell me about how I am supposed to interact with those around me, whether it's in the body of Christ, whether it's in my family, in the workplace, wherever. And when we put those two things together, what we achieve is we achieve a self-knowledge that allows us to know where we need the spirit the most in our lives to change us and compel us to be 
believers that are image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can I say that again? I hope I can. So when we, when we put this together, when we put together the knowledge we have of ourselves and the word of God, what we are able to do is take a realistic look inside and then know where are the areas that are the most important for me to let the spirit lead in my life. So let me say this. This is a dangerous concept if you are one of those people who likes to say, well, this is just the way I am. And you know what? All of us say that from time to time, don't we? We just learn about ourselves and then we say, oh, well, that's why I do that. So that must be okay. Well, just because it's our inclination doesn't mean it's okay. And just because it's my inclination, I have to take into account that it can be my inclination and it can be a bad example of my inclination because of my sinful nature, because of the way I am acting out on that personality trait or that tendency. So if you think sometimes, well, I don't really want to spend the time examining these things. I don't really want to sit down and think through exactly who I am. I've always been this way. It's worked okay so far. I'm just staying the way I am. If that's where your mind is right now, and only you know that, this is a rhetorical exercise right now, I want to remind you what David wrote in Psalm 51 when he said these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's our cry to the Lord. Our cry to the Lord is not, well, God, this is just the way you put me together. Our cry to the Lord is search me and show me and cleanse my heart and help me know how desperately I need the work of the Spirit in my life. Over and over in Scripture, we are told that within our process of being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. You see, there is this process that begins in our lives from the moment of salvation where the Lord through his spirit begins to sanctify us, to make us more like him. And as we are sanctified, more of him needs to shine through us than our self-determined ways shine through us. The new that is talked about in the New Testament comes so much more easily for each one of us when we are willingly pursuing it. When we admit that a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and a greater understanding of ourselves can merge together 
to show us how he has made us and gifted us to fulfill his purposes. Now, here is a passage of scripture that needs to be huge in each of our lives. And it's Galatians 5.22 and 5.23. A lot of you are familiar with this. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That is a promise to us as part of our salvation, that the Spirit enters us and lives within us to increase every one of those things within us. It is an expectation for every believer. Now, that doesn't matter whether your personality matches mine or not. It doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you are prone to detail an organization, or whether you're a more artistic, creative, free spirit kind of people. It doesn't matter. Because what Paul is writing right there is that no matter who you are, no matter how you know and understand the way God has put you together, he's going to give all of you more of these things. Love, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, and self-control. And for some of us, we need a bigger dose of patience. For others, we need a bigger dose of self-control. Some of us need to learn to be gentle. Some of us need to be able to look at a situation and first see the good in it before we let a critical nature take over. So the question that we all have to think about right now is bring this down to your own situation as you think about those gifts of the Spirit that are promised to you. Do you need more patience? Are you a person who easily has self-control or do you lack self-control? Do you need to show more kindness and gentleness toward others? Which of these things comes more naturally to you? And then answer the question, which are the more challenging for me? And when you think about those that are the more challenging for you, then those are the ones that you have to set out to make more of your nature and your personality. And the very best way that you do that is by praying and asking your Heavenly Father to increase the work of the Spirit in your life in that area. And you will see him do it. It is a promise to you. It isn't a maybe. It isn't a, well, if you're this kind of person, I'll give you more patience. There are no ifs or um, conditions on these statements. In 1 Peter 1, 5 through 9, Peter says something dramatic. In that first chapter, he said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that phrase for a minute. You have been given everything you need to live a fulfilled life that accomplishes God's purposes and to do it in a godly fashion. How is it that you and I are able to do that? It's because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
in the way that he puts us together, redeems us, and fills us, he gives us everything we need. So we can't say, well, I just can't conquer this. I just can't get past this tendency that I have. Because there is nothing that you need in your life to become the kind of servant that God desires you to be that he has not made available to you. He works on you daily. He works on me daily. And Peter goes on to say this. In view of that, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with these things. Listen. A generous provision of moral excellence... And then moral excellence supplement with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the Knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are Peter's words, not mine. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. But then listen to what he says at the end of these verses. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Now, that's a pretty important thought right there. Note the two things that are said in these verses. It doesn't say, he he reiterates some of the very same thoughts that Paul has written in Galatians about the gifts of the Spirit. And once again, he doesn't say, some of this is available to you, but not all of it. Or some of you need this, but others of you don't. But he does say this. If you're not growing in these ways, if you don't see this work of the Spirit in your life, then you're short-sighted. And you have forgotten what has been done for you. You have forgotten the cleansing of your sins. So in other words, and I'm preaching this to myself as much as I say this to you tonight as your teacher. If we are not willing to take the time to dive into these things and really think about the characteristics that God has put into us, then it is as though we are ignoring or blocking out what Christ has done for us. Because the promise of what he's done for us is that when he redeemed you, he gave you this spirit to change you into the very servant that God wants you to be. So if I believe that promise as part of my salvation then I will experience the evidence of these things happening in my lives. My personality will become more and more like the masterpiece that God intended it to be. The way I use my gifts will be more and more inclined toward what his spirit intended. The abilities and the experiences that he puts into my life will clearly be seen by me as preparation for what he is asking me to do. And finally from Colossians 3:12. <clears throat> Paul wrote there, 
since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with these things. Listen to the list. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you should forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. Now once again, we come back around to not just how does this impact me as an individual, But we come back around to the fact that when I am growing, when you are growing, when each of us is on this path together and we are serving in the body of Christ side by side, we begin to see the unity that Christ told us about so much in John 16 and 17. When he said that he wanted us to have the same unity that he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because we are becoming more like the masterpieces we were intended to be. So I want to suggest to you tonight that you rejoice in your personality. That you are thankful for the way God has put you together. Don't worry about how it's different from someone else's. Don't be concerned about, do I do this as well as another person? Live in the person that God made you to be. Now, there's one thing I want us to end with tonight, and then this teaching will be yours. In the middle of your tables, there's Play-Doh. So this is your last little activity for this evening. So open up your Play-Doh, and everybody take out a lump. Everybody needs a lump. Pass it around, roll your lump, soften it up, get it going. It is brand new Play-Doh. All right. So here's the final message tonight about our personalities and the way God has put us together as you hold on to that little lump of clay. There are two or three very significant places in scripture where God compares his creation of you and me and the way that he has put us together to a potter who is working the clay. And so I want you, just as a kinetic activity for the next few minutes, I just want you to work that Play-Doh in your hands. If you want to form it into something, form it into something. Or just sit there and feel it, but don't let go of it. And as you're doing that, as you're working that Play-Doh, I want you to listen to just a couple passages from Scripture, quietly listen, and then we'll be finished for tonight. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay 
and started over. And then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in mine. And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another for function? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and the Gentiles. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Let me pray for us before we leave. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for the way you've made us, that you took the time to put each of us together just as you knew we should be. We want to be more like you. We want to look more like Jesus. And we confess that it is hard, and we need more and more of the guidance of your Spirit to become that way. So bless our lives today, tomorrow, with the fullness that comes through walking in your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.